Well, today we're looking again at obviously at Philippians, and I just want to give a brief recap, just uh, in, as an intro into the message today. Uh, Galatians, or it's not Galatians, but Philippians is different uh, from some other letters that Paul has written. It's a friendly, affectionate, encouraging letter to the Philippian church. Um, there are no big, major problems within within the church. There are a few. Which, which come through as we, um, as we go through and look at the, look at the passage. It's a different sort of book though to Galatians. Galatians is very sort of full on, uh, from the, from the Apostle Paul, but, um, uh, in dealing with the, with the situation there. But Philippians is, Philippians is a, a, a letter to friends more than anything else. It was written by Paul from prison or he was in some sort of captive situation in Rome approximately 30 years after Jesus had ascended. So, now, as I've worked, worked my way through it, I've divided it up into four parts. The first part is that the gospel is spread two ways. That's in Rome. The second part is we're looking at two motives for preaching. There is one that's a bit questionable. The third one is Paul's goal to exalt Jesus and then... The last part is this decision that Paul makes where Paul chooses life rather than death. And in that section, there are some really profound, life-changing verses that have got... All of this, by the way, has got direct application to us. So let's, let's never forget that, that when we're studying the word, it's not just for the people in Philippi, but what? It's for us uh, right now. So let's begin by looking at the first section which is the gospel spreads two ways, and that's verses 12 to 14. So let's begin, we're looking at verse, um, look at verse 12 first. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, that's being imprisoned and being brought to Rome, um, has actually served to advance the gospel. Let's think about that. So he says it served to advance. Well, it's two ways, but we'll come to that in verses 13 and 14. But I think it's worthwhile here just a recap on what is the gospel. Gospel is like many words in the church. We, we put out words. I think, think I said last week, grace and peace. Well, the gospel is another one. The thing is, we need to get it clear in our mind what the gospel is. Um, it's, it's important to remember, too, of course, that the gospel is something that has happened or in, in many ways is happening. It's about a person and certain events but we also want to make that, appropriate that to us, make it applicable to us. So there's two separate things involved. So the gospel fundamentally is Jesus paid the price for our sins or sin nature on the cross, saving us from, saving us from what? Which is eternal separation from God or eternal damnation giving us eternal life. And when I think about that, and I think all of us, we, I think really we don't do enough about that in the church. We don't do enough of, of talking about eternal life and heaven. What an incredible motivator and encourager it is uh, within the Christian life. But the gospel can only be ours, or the benefit of the gospel can only be ours, what? Through as uh, repentance and belief, in Jesus of the Bible. I always say of the Bible because it, some people invent their own Jesus. No, it's the Jesus of the Bible. This is our greatest need and no works are necessary. We don't work to be saved. When we're saved, when we're looking for sanctification to grow as a believer, yes, then there definitely is work for us then. Right. Let's look at verses 13 and 14. 
As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Let's go back and look at that. It says, as a result, it has become clear. So we're looking here about two ways. The gospel spreads two ways, right? So the first way is this. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else, everyone else basically in the, in the emperor's, um, Roman emperor's household and all his staff, it has become clear to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ in change for Christ. What's he saying there? Well, he's been falsely accused of rebellion by the high priest in Jerusalem. So falsely accused there of rebellion against the Roman emperor. That is a very, very serious thing in that time. It's a bit like now if you want to rebel against Kim Jong-un. I think I've got that name right. The, North, the president of North Korea. You rebel against him, you're in serious trouble. Then he goes on and says, and because of my and be, so this, that's the first way the gospel is spread. That is basically through Paul preaching the gospel, even while he's captive. Then the second part is this. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters, these are the brothers and sisters in Rome, fellow believers, have become confident in the Lord. Why? They've been inspired by Paul and what he's doing, and they dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Now, sometimes we think, well, the gospel, well, that's all about um, Daniel, Pastor Daniel, or it's all about people standing up here, or it's all about the elders. No, no, it's not that. All of us, it's not, it's not this formal presentation of the gospel, but there are lots of different ways. It, yes, it is through preaching, but it's through us simply telling others. If, if we are... If we look, I, 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 I know I, I didn't grow up, grow up as a believer or in a Christian Christian family, but I've been incredibly blessed in my life by being a believer. So therefore, I want others to have that as well. I want others to have the gift that I've received. So the second way to preach the God or to spread the gospel is telling others by attract. One marvelous, you know, if you, we're short of words as we all are and a bit hesitant about, you know, can I explain things? Well, there's heaps of tracks. Heaps of, just out of a Christian bookshop or whatever. Leave someone a track, whatever. A godly living. So our godly life, the person who we are. Mind you, it's, the spreading the gospel is more than just actions. There's gotta be words there somewhere. Whether they're printed words or whatever. But there's more than just living a good life. But that necessarily is part of it. If you want to add something, if you want to give a track to someone and you're living an ungodly life, well, bang, that's, that's, you shot, it shot the use of the track altogether. So once again, that's just finishing, saying about different ways that we can preach the gospel. Righto. Now here comes a, a somewhat unusual section, which is verse 15 to 18a, two motives for preaching. And I think Paul's pretty exceptional here. So let's have a look at that verse 15 first. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. So how can that be? It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. These people, I believe, as it comes out in the rest of the passage, it appears that these people who are preaching out of envy and rivalry are in fact believers. If you've, if you've ever met the perfect believer, please come and tell me. 
or tell if you think you're the perfect believer, please come and tell me because I'd love to know. I'd love to know because it's impossible. But, but it goes to show that 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 even believers can do things out of envy and rivalry, and I know that that's a fact. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. Believers, they are people teaching a sound gospel. He's saying he's saying they preach. He's saying they're preaching the gospel, teaching sound gospel, but for various reasons unhappy with Paul. But then he says, but others out of goodwill. Then he says, this is verse sixteen. Going verse sixteen. The latter, that's the ones out of goodwill, the latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here, who? By God, put here by God, for the defence of the gospel. And I think this is rather interesting. It's for the defence of the gospel. The key thing is, it's not Paul actually is on trial. It's not Paul. The thing, it's the thing that got him in jail that's actually on trial. The defense of the gospel, the gospel itself is on trial, not Paul. Then we look at verse 17, it says, the former, let me just read this through. The former, the former preached Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. So the former preached Christ, and when you say preach Christ, that's preaching the gospel. They're preaching the gospel. But they're preaching a sound gospel, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. Their motives are wrong, but their preaching is biblically correct. It's funny, isn't it, eh? But that's the reality of our sin nature. It's the reality of what that happens in leadership circles. That's just the reality of it. So look at verse 18a. Now, this is the interesting bit. He says, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. All I can say is that Paul is exceedingly charitable. That would get me uptight, I've got to say. And he's very, very forgiving. That people are attacking him, wanting to bring him down. And yet he's saying, well, that's great. Why? Because the authentic gospel is still being preached and blessings are are flowing from that. And because of that, I rejoice. What a wonderful word. Right. Then we look at verse 18b to verse 20. Paul's, what's Paul's goal? His goal is to exalt Jesus. Now, I I try to find a a word, a good, good words to describe the word exalt. Um, and I just couldn't really find really good words to describe it. And the best I could do is to say, to exalt Jesus is to sort of like shout his greatness. Is to like let everyone know, n- 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 not not scream and shout and bang people, but but rather to to really loudly pr- or or profoundly or boldly. I love that word boldly. Boldly proclaim the cro- of Christ and his goodness. Right. Now, let's look first of all at verses 18b and 19. Then he goes on, this is after he said, I rejoice. He says, and because of this, I rejoice. That's in the previous verse. Then he begins, 18b, yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. So what's he saying there? He says, yes. I will continue to rejoice, 
For I know that through your prayers, can I say that that is a profound importance? We've, um, um, you know, many churches have prayer meetings. Many churches do not. Our church did not for a long time, but a good friend of mine has begun one at our church. And, I, and, and my, one of my favourite sayings is, this is the, the prayer meeting is the engine room of the church. I really do believe that. Because we've spoken to so many people about the gospel. Most people, they just said, I'm not interested. And I know that that's who I was until God penetrated into my, it's not, it's not my merit. He penetrated into my life. He deserves all the credit. And I'm sure that that's come in part from the prayers of different people that, who I've come across. He says, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, who's that? The Holy Spirit and God's provision of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. Who, how do we relate with the, with the Holy Spirit? When we first become a believer, of course, God gives us his Holy Spirit, God the Father. We sang the song about Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who God the Father gives to us to live within us, to enable us to live the Christian life. Then he says, um, I, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Christ, that what has happened to me, that's his imprisonment, will turn out for my deliverance. Well, it may not turn out for his, for his deliverance in the short term, but in the long term it definitely does. So when he says deliverance, he basically, what he's talking about there, it's vindication or it's a positive stamp on his zeal for the gospel. In the end, he will be proved to have been on the right path. It may not come in the short term, particularly in our lives, for example. The, the Christian life is a life of difficulty. But in the long term, of course, when we're in heaven, enjoying heaven forever, we will definitely say it's a good thing. Right. Verse 20, I eagerly expect and hope that in no way, that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage to show, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. Look at that. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, and he's talking there about his life generally that he won't be ashamed of the way he's lived his life. Because there is, there will be a day for all believers, a day of what, I, rather than the day of judgment, I like to call it the day of accountability. It's still, it's officially, officially in a sense it's day of judgment, but a day of accountability where every believer must appear before Christ and give an account of their life. Will we be ashamed on that day? I, I certainly hope not. So he's saying, um, I expect, I, full, I eagerly expect and hope that I will be in no way ashamed on the day of accountability by his life generally, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body. What? What? By, by his actions, by his words, by his attitudes. Shouldn't we all want to be like, this is all, as I said before, this is not just for the Philippians. This is for us, directly for us. Do we want, do we, it says, but we'll have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. Do we always behave like that? No. No, we don't. But we need to strive to make, to do that more and more. 
whether by life or death. So, of course, Paul was released from this captivity he's talking about here. Later he was caught again, imprisoned and executed. So in the short term, for him, it wasn't things weren't, didn't go too well. But from a long-term point of view, he will receive and is receiving incredible blessing. Right Let's, because uh, he was later executed. Right. Let's look at verses 21 to 26. Here we have some really profound, what I would call great verses in the Bible. And once again, directly relevant for us. We need to grasp them as our own. These are fantastic verses. Let me look at verse 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's look at, think about that. For me to live is Christ. For Paul, the gospel, Jesus was his great passion in life. To exalt Jesus. We need to be beware that we do not have other passions that dominate us. It's so easy for that to happen. A career. What I'm saying is, who who is ultimately making who is ultimately deciding what direction your life goes and what is your lifestyle who is it is it the your passion your worldly passion or is it jesus who is your dominating passion so that everything else you do falls in underneath that so our passions can be things like career one of the more modern ones is travel i want to go here i want to go there Or it could be something as simple as what I would call coffee and cake. Go out for a coffee. Let's have a cake. Let's spend our time doing that. But 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 the question is, we can do that with a gospel motive. Like we take out people or go out for people that that we want to discuss what what our faith is about, or people that you know need Jesus, and and we can do things with them. I know this is not everything we do in life, but but. But going out and having coffee and cake, and that's it, is pointless. It's a pointless, purposeless existence. And it's something that I certainly don't want. We can also have other passions. For example, and this might surprise some people, but family. Family can be a dominating passion. No, Jesus, the family inside that. Not the family dominating. Oh no, it's, oh no, no. The family is more important. Or kiddies soccer or whatever, which happens to be on a Sunday. Not that there are not exceptions to that sometimes. I don't want to make a hard and fast rule. But the point is, what's more important, family or Jesus? Righto. Then he goes on, he says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. How can he say that that's a gain? Well, there's no more earthly hardship. And if anyone's gone through hardship, then it's the Apostle Paul. And also, he's in God's presence. Isn't that incredible? I remember um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Now, I know the reality is if, if, if we're approaching death, and one or two of you may well be doing that right now. I know we're all one day we've got to deal with that. We're going to be, we'll be there, highly likely in a hospital somewhere, very ill, and knowing that it's just around the corner. But it's wonderful to read this. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Jesus has dealt with that. 
and, and, and there is a life, the eternal life, the other side of death. Paul is confronted here. Paul has got a win-win situation. To live is Christ and to die is gain. It's great. He, he's, he's quite happy with the situation. Righto. He's reconciled himself to it. Let's look at verses 22 to 24. I'll just read it through. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. Well, he does know, actually, but that's just his way of saying it. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary to you that I remain in the body. Let's look at that. If I am going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. What's his fruitful labor? Well, continuing on with what he's doing. Preaching the gospel, but not just that, he's modeling it. He's mixing with people. People have got an opportunity to look at him and his lifestyle, the kind of person that he is, and say, wow, you know, he's a pretty good role model. He would have been a wonderful role model. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ. I always remember, and I love this, it's a, it's, I'm, sure, I'm sure you do too. Luke 23, verse 43, Jesus is on the cross with a thief on either side and he speaks to the second thief, second, no, the second thief. Today you will be with me in paradise. What a wonderful thing. I desire to be to part and be with Christ. If, Christ. if Paul departs, he's going to be in Christ's presence. Not with his resurrected body. That's something to come later on. The specifics on that uh, in the Bible are not in, not entirely clear. But the point is, he will be in God's presence. And then he then it goes on and says, "Which is better by far? That's to depart. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Why? Because he can continue to preach and model the gospel to the Philippians and to other people. Now." In the last two verses, 25 and 26, convinced of this, I know that I will remain. So that's his choice. Paul chooses life. I know that I will remain and will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ will abound on account of me. So let's consider that. He says, convinced of this. I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress. What progress? What we call sanctification or our our growing in Christian maturity. Seek spiritual maturity. Our growing in that. Then he says for your progress and joy. Well, what's the joy? Joy is the byproduct, of course, of spiritual maturity. It's something that grows over time. Then he says for your progress and joy in the faith, what he's talking about there is not so much the gospel, but he's talking about our, the extent to which we believe in, trust in, have faith in the gospel. Right? That's something, of course, that grows, grows as the years go by. We start off tentatively, but we grow as the years go by. Then he says in verse 26, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ, so what do you mean by boasting? I, once again, sometimes it's hard to, it's not worldly boasting and look at me how wonderful I am. It's, no, that's not it. It is passionately shouting, not our greatness, 
not even subtly subtly shouting our, our greatness, which sometimes we sometimes that, that that is a crime that we do commit, but passionately shouting Jesus's greatness to others, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ will abound or increase on account of me. What? Because He's with them, teaching them, modelling them, etc. Righto. So now what we've done, we've gone through the four parts where the gospel spreads two ways by Paul in the emperor's household and by the um, by the believers in Rome then he looks at two motives for preaching the right motive and the wrong motive but nevertheless even the wrong motive is by believers um, and because they're teaching the right gospel the teaching the true gospel as Paul says there's only one gospel there's no there's no other gospel there's only one he says that in Galatians I think now then the next section is Paul's goal is to exalt Jesus or to shout his greatness. And then he, then the last part, he, he chooses life. So he's got this question, well, I live, well, I, if, I, if I live, well, if I die, etc. But in the end, he chooses life. Why? He would prefer to die and be with Christ, but he wants to help people. It's like the really, really faithful pastor uh, in a church. Now, for Paul, let me just finish. For Paul, Jesus and the gospel was totally dominant. If you looked at his life, you could be certain that every decision that he made was was under the sort of umbrella of the gospel. And everything he did what is in, in conformity to that. That was his passion. It was dominant. The question is, what about us? Is Can that truthfully be said about us? If not, why not? It should be. Maybe we've been hurt. Many people have been hurt in their experiences within the church. Um, and I say, I say truthfully, but in love, I say we need to get past that. We need to talk to God about that. We need a time of healing, but we need to get past that if we've been hurt. We've had past failures. Join the club. And we can have past failures and say, look, I'm a hopeless Christian. Why don't I just throw the towel in? No, no. We can have some absolute clangers, and I've committed a few in my life. Um, We can do that. But the wonderful thing is we can repent of it. We might carry this sort of like emotional, depressive scar for a while, but eventually we can leave that behind because God comes to the rescue, which is absolutely wonderful. We can become apathetic. Easily we can become apathetic. Or else, and perhaps the biggest thing is, we can develop other gods within our life. I've mentioned a few of them before, uh, about career, wealth, entertainment, leisure, family, etc., travel. One thing I think we need to be aware of with other gods is I remember uh, with Jane, I remember having a, over breakfast, there's someone else that we know that... Um, uh, it was just working all the time. Work, 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 work. And I said to Jane very solemnly over the Christmas table, I, not the Christmas table, the breakfast table, I said, that's not going to happen to me. This is when I bought a, a had a, a, an accounting practice. And I said, well, that's not going to happen to me. But of course, what Satan, Satan is a lot smarter than what we are. And he just takes his time. If he wants us to get us in a certain situation where our passions are dominant and the gospel is not, then he, if he, if he hits us bang in one time, we'll probably recognise it. But no, he's subtle and he'll do it over time. It might take years. 
years and years for that to happen. But before we know it, we are caught. And that happened to me when I came to my business, that I became... And, and But what happened? My spiritual uh, maturity plateaued for many years. Why? Because I, I clung to another God. Thankfully, that was uh, removed in time. Nothing else, uh, just as a concluding point, nothing else makes sense for us than Jesus who re- this and the gospel who really, truly is the answer to our deepest needs. I know that that's true. It is the answer to our deepest needs, and I am so thankful for that. Paul knew that, and Paul said, what did Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2? Another one of these profound verses. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, which is the gospel. That's fundamentally the gospel. And which brings us to the title of my talk, which I didn't mention before, which is Preach Christ and Him Crucified, also known as Preach the Gospel. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray particularly for the powerful work of your Holy Spirit within us so that we might put aside things of lesser importance and embrace the Gospel. Jesus and Him Crucified. Because in a hundred years from now, we will be with him. Hopefully, we will all be with him. And we will then see how right Paul is in what he said. I decided to preach Jesus and him crucified. In Jesus' name, amen.